Hello, and welcome to Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I am joined by James, and we're going to be discussing the first four issues of Stan Lee's Just Imagine. So Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Green Lantern. These came out in 2001 as part of a 12 or 13 part, really, series of one-shots Stan Lee did over at DC, where he did riffs on kind of iconic DC characters. Now, there's a, a text page at the start in which Stan Lee basically pays tribute to the original creators and flat-out states he's not trying to improve on the originals, he has great respect for them, but this is just kind of a fun writing exercise and a chance to work at DC and to work with some great artists, so why not? Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool because you know some people are going to give him some guff. Ah, he's trying to replace the original! (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. Well, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about Stanley, and, and some good, some bad, and I get all of that. And... In terms of what did he create, co-create, and all of that stuff, and and the sheer spokesman persona he had at Marvel for for decades, yeah, he always, while being very playful and and poking some fun at DC and stuff, he did treat them with respect. Yeah, I would agree, and I think he he was very much doing that here. As much to, you know, hey, if I don't do a great job, don't blame me. There's already, you're going to compare, like, Batman to the real Batman. You know, so there's a certain can't-win-for-losing almost aspect to some of this stuff. Because whatever he did, even if it was absolutely brilliant, it's different. And, again, going to get compared to the original in all of these cases. Yeah. And, and, you know, after reading this, I thought he did a, a decent job because he was pretty old when he did this. And, you know, nothing, nothing to say anything bad about anyone who's of a particular age, but most creative minds, you know, there's been scientific studies on this. As you age, your mind changes, you know, and the creative juices that you have when you're 20 years old are very different than when you're, let's say in this case, he was probably in his late sixties, maybe 70, probably late sixties by this time. And it, it just, he still had writing chops in him, even though all those years had passed. Well, to be doing this kind of stuff, what, 40 years or so after creating the, or co-creating the, the foundational aspect of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. He, he's a fundamentally different person at that point. We all are after 40 years. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And if not, and you're around 40, then you got some growing up to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but you really do. <laughs> yeah. The artist on this Batman issue was Joe Kubert. And we got pros and cons on the art in terms of it's not my favorite style, but terrific artist so you know there's that yeah that's the thing it's it's terrific art but it, at the same time it's it's kind of dated you know i mean i would say his penciling has not improved over time i think some of it is when you get to the a list artists ranking or whatever you've either done it because you have such a clean polished style or such a distinctive signature style yes this and would definitely be distinctive signature, I would say. <laughs> I would say for most of the artists involved in this, probably. Yeah, I would agree. Because it's the more typical route. Yeah. The, the only one I would say is maybe not even cleaner, but more well-known is later on we'll talk about Jim Lee, you know? He, he's a little bit more modern artist, you know? 
Well, we got Dave Gibbons on one of oh, these. Oh, Dave Gibbons, that's true. Yeah, Dave Gibbons. I mean, they, they pulled out all the stops on the art here. Oh, they really did. And when, you know, this is Stan Lee's first DC work, why not? I mean, I, I think that was a smart move to do that. Something I was going to ask you, did these sell very well back in the day when they came out? Man, that's a great question. I didn't think to look that up. Oh, all right. I figured you're just an encyclopedia of not. <laughs> I have a database of sales information. I am not the database. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I haven't read these since they first came out in 2001-ish or whatever. At that point, they had pre-order information, not final sales information. Okay. So at best, we would know how they went into stores, not how they sold at stores. Which, again, final order sales, still, it's into stores, not how they sell out. But it factors in... It's a more realistic sampling of what went into stores than pre-orders, because you can pre-order stuff that never ships, you know? Yeah. It was as much a curiosity thing as anything else. I don't think these did, like, hush over at Batman around this time frame and stuff like that, where it just shot through the roof, you know? And that's not the sort of thing you would expect with this. And part of that was, this was not Stanley's Just Imagine 1 through 12. It was Stanley's Just Imagine Batman number 1, Stanley's Just Imagine Wonder Woman number 1, etc., Okay. So when you pitch them as 12 one-shots, people will pick and choose. They don't feel obligated to get the whole thing. Yeah, and I noticed I did that when they did those uh, the, the enemies, the rogues galleries mm-hmm. recently. I can't remember for the life of me what it was called. But I picked up like the Penguin one, and I picked up the very last one just based on the creative team. I was like, oh, I like this team. I'll read this. But yeah, I didn't feel the need to own or purchase all of them. But if One Bad Day had been done as a mini-series that just rotated features and such, and it was one, two, three, four for the numbering, would you have gotten them all? Probably. Maybe. It depends uh, on my state of mind at the time, because honestly, with the cutting back, and I saw Tom King on number one, I probably would have said, nope, I'm out. Yeah, so you would have skipped all of them, probably, versus pick and choose, yeah. Exactly. I would have just never picked them up, because it's just like a thing right now. If I see Tom King, I just, I'll skip. Not for me. And he was the first writer, so I would have just thought this is his series, and that number two came along. Eh, I probably don't know what's going on. Just move along. There's a lot to be said for how stuff is marketed and that impacting how it sells. Exactly. People who are Tom King fans pick it up. They love it, and maybe they feel obligated to see it through. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Now, this Batman is obviously very different from the, the tried and true you know, Batman we all know and love. Oh my god, completely different. (laughs) If anything, this, I felt, was almost a Spider-Man riff on Batman. It is so funny you said that because that was in my notes in here. You see the beats of Spider-Man and the themes of Spider-Man in here more so than Batman, Mm -hmm. other than the bat suit when he gets to the wrestling, which wrestling was (laughs) Spider-Man. Well, yeah, he does the whole, let's go do the wrestling to get money and stuff. He essentially becomes The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson of this world to a degree. If you take Wayne Williams, which is the lead character here who becomes Batman, he's kind of a mashup of almost Peter Parker and the guy who killed Uncle Ben. Yep. You know, and it's, you know, him getting framed for murder and sent to jail and all that kind of stuff and and getting a pardon. And I mean, there's, there's some of these things that some story beats worked better than others. I would agree. It was not bad. I didn't like this whole big bad of Hans Horgum or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I think he was trying to almost like do his own little riff on, uh, is it Falcone that's the big one in I was going to say Kingpin. Kingpin is what I felt, but I was trying to use a DC one. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. But yeah, it seemed like Kingpin, completely like Kingpin. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and the end he meets there at the end, definitely a very different take on Batman than, than the Bruce Wayne version. Exactly, yeah. It was so different, And what's but what's funny is, you know, DC's kind of used some of the stuff in here, you know, like the lead character being African-American, we had the I Am Batman where he mm-hmm. had th- that. And then, like, there's just different things that I saw here in this book, which they kind of... I'm I'm not saying they were they were copying this book or anything, but it, it's just it's popped up later on. Well, it's funny because if this were over at Marvel, in other words, if the Marvel mindset was behind the publishing, this would not have just been a series of one shots. Within the the 20 years we've had since then, we'd probably have gotten some miniseries following up with these characters. I would agree, and th- these were just kind of one shots and done, and we've never seen anything again. Now there is a one shot coming up celebrating Stanley's 100th birthday or some such and they're they're bringing these characters back for a one shot. Very cool. So, it's only taken 20 years, but it's funny because this one certainly the Wonder Woman one and a, a few of the others, these were essentially pilot episodes of, you know, a TV series if you will. Yeah. You know, set it all up, get the toys out there, tell the opening story and then, you know, it's a, a premise somebody could go run with. Exactly. And, it, it, you know, you could see some fun toys with this, like when he does the wrestling and he's wearing the basically like the man bat suit. He looks like a bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, you could have seen the toys and it was a done in one comic. Every every comic. Boom. Here it is. You know, kind of hearkening back to that 1960s, 70s thing. Well, and I found it interesting that Stanley knew that, OK, he's he's going to tell a bigger story over the course of all of these. But this was the appearance of of this Batman. There wasn't going to be a series after it, yet he still made a point of, it's like, okay, this this Frederick Grant guy who he's hired to duplicate bat powers or whatnot, to be his cue, if you will, they're going to have it to where they're pretending this guy owns this large Hollywood mansion and, and Wayne is his bodyguard. Yeah. Now, that has nothing to do in this story, so why have that story be, other than having just the, the I don't know, the muscle memory or whatever as you're writing, to set things up for the long haul? Yeah, I almost think he's he's trained himself and he was prepared for it to where, boom, here it is. Let's go with it and leave the opening for issue number two if that was going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. the next writer to come along. Because, yeah, it, it literally ends on now let the game begin. Yeah, and I think it was a, a missed opportunity for DC to not follow up on these characters over those intervening decades. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it feels like something that could have been used and I don't know, but. I guess it's gone now to history other than when we revisit it for his 100th birthday. They they could always go back to it. I don't know why they they wouldn't or whatever, but... Now, these are roughly 48 pages-ish lead stories, and then there's a backup. Yes. The backup on this one, I felt, was pretty much worthless. Yeah. It it had no dialogue. Nope. And it was following a, a newspaper as it's literally getting blown across town. <laughs> exactly. A newspaper with the bat in it. That's that's literally it. People looking at the paper and picking it up. And I'm like, oh man, y- you spent pages on this? Yeah, that was weird. That was uh, Michael Uslan who did that, and he was the one who kind of put the whole deal together to get Stanley over at DC for this. Oh well, that I hope we don't see again. <laughs> yeah, all of the backups I've read so far, which is these four, I felt some were better than others, but none were. Wow, I'm really glad they had this. Exactly. I, I, I think I could have skipped it and I saved the 50 cents or whatever. I don't know what they're charging more for that. And I, I, I would have had a better experience. <laughs> yeah. 
Shall we move over to the Wonder Woman one? Yeah, let's do that. Now, what I found interesting with this is we get new names for, like, everybody. Yeah. You know, we got a, a Maria Mendoza, who's going to become Wonder Woman, Armando Gutierrez, who's the local big bad and winds up killing Maria's father in the course of the story. But the one name we kept, Steve Trevor. Yeah, that's the only one. Very and weird. A very different look for Steve Trevor. Not, not good or bad. He's an archaeologist. And the speaker of exposition, particularly right after Maria's father is killed. And, of course, we can't have that, so he quickly gets gunned down. So it's not even like he's going to be a, a, a recurring character had this continued. Yeah, exactly. Did, did you get a vibe like DC had riffed on this recently with a, a recent book? I was thinking uh, the Wonder Girl they exactly. recently that, created, yeah. Yeah, Wonder Girl. I was like, oh my gosh, they, I wonder if they were referencing this when they, hey, let's dip, it, dip into the South American you know, theme and go with it. it and here she is, and it's like, it, it, she even looked kind of like Wonder Girl. Well, the other thing I felt they were riffing on? If you go to that page where she's getting the lowdown on how her powers work, and your staff will transform into a golden bracelet, and each time you touch it, the change will occur. Yeah. That last panel in particular, I got this flash of, of Witchblade. Oh, I, that's, I totally did that too. I got that in my notes. I was like, it felt like Wonder Girl, and then that one scene with those metal arms, you're like, that is totally Witchblade. Well, and later when she's speculating there may have been other iterations of this goddess or whatever over time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> That's because we both saw that there. That it was kind of cool. But yeah, it totally looks just like Witchblade when you see that with the yeah. little claws and all that and the metal arm. I was like, man, that's like, kind of cool. It's like from the 90s. It really felt, though, that Maria just literally stumbled into the power. Yeah. Boom, here it is. Yeah, not like she was proactive or going after it or anything. And then this whole bit with Mike Willard at the end, the writer and editor of the National Exposer, which apparently is. It seemed like a small-time operation, although it's got nice offices. All of that seemed to be set up for, again, the series that, that could have come after. Yeah, the series that never was. It was set up here, and we never saw anything else. So, I mean, kudos to Stan Lee for, for treating this seriously as if it could have been an ongoing thing, and not just a let's wrap it up like a what-if thing, and at the end of it, none of it matters. Yeah, I would agree. This issue and the Jim Lee issue were the two that... You know, probably the most modern style art, and it didn't feel like it was a blast from the past. Yeah, well, Jim Lee's art on this was was good, but again, there's there's pros and cons to his art at times. Yeah. The backup for this one. Oh, yeah, 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 the backup. Let me go to that. Man, that was puzzling, because yeah. the, the implication was that somehow Wonder Woman was causing people to just be better. Yet nothing in the main story really would explain those events, yet it seemed, the implication was it was t it was happening concurrent to, like, the big fight in L.A. and such. Yeah, like she was releasing some kind of goodness into <laughs> Yeah! I was like, that was bizarre. If she had been shining brightly or, or something that could have radiated onto other people clearly in the lead story, maybe? Yeah, it just seemed completely bizarre and tacked on and something that was not referenced in the main story at all. But I'm wondering if it was set up for one of the later ones. Ah. Because we get Diana Prince, who's the curator of some museum. They don't bother to name the museum, because, well, why do that? Yeah. <laughs> and this is the person Steve Trevor was sending those runes to. There's some guy named Carter working with her. Yep. And these runes are the head of a Hawkman and a Hawkwoman. Yep. And I'm like, is this the setup for the Hawkman issue? It could have been. So... Maybe. We'll find out when we, we read that. You haven't read any of these before, have you? I haven't read it, and I have not read the Hawkman issue, so... It I, I read be. it 
20 years ago, and I remember I read it 20 years ago. So this might have been the setup for that issue. Might have been, might not have been, don't know. Yeah, see, I read it and I noticed the Hawkman stuff in the car, but I didn't know if it we he was just going to leave it there and it's just gone. So who knows? There's a number of things that Stanley is setting up for that bigger picture because in the Batman one, we've got the Church of Eternal Empowerment mm-hmm. with Reverend Dominic Dark. That's just kind of mentioned. It's mentioned again here. It becomes a, a much bigger issue in uh, in Superman and Green Lantern. Correct. And that's kind of the big bad of the whole series. And what's interesting is prior to these, as far as I can tell, there were no people with superpowers in this world as far as everyone knew. Yeah, it's it's like the first time they've seen anything like this. They're they're kind of mesmerized. Evidence seems to be that Reverend Dominic Dark has yes. superpowers, uses them for evil, of course, because why not? But particularly when we get to the Superman one, the the whole have there been superheroes or not in this world just gets kind of kind of wild. Yeah, correct. Uh, with this one, though, again, it was an interesting take on the character. Kind of the golden armor and stuff, I think, got used in Wonder Woman a little later and stuff. So I could see where either it was just coincidence or this may have inspired some later stuff. Again, like you mentioned, the Wonder Girl stuff. Yeah, definitely. And it, what's weird is, well, not weird, but interesting is this Jim Lee issue was 2001, mm-hmm. and 2001 also is when he did Hush, so he was a pretty quick drawer back then. I have to imagine he did this beforehand, and that this was done before Hush, or It was just around. an inventory or something, waiting to come out. Not so much out. an inventory, but they planned ahead. I don't think he was doing Hush in real time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're not going to do that big of a Batman run with an artist like Jim Lee, who can sometimes be a little late, and particularly as he's, you know, co-running DC or whatever he was doing at the time, you build in some lead time on that. Yeah. This was kind of cool because, like, when it first started, this story, this is just something just funny for me, my my experience. My wife and I went to Peru a little while back. Mm Mm-hmm. And literally, you know, this whole story starts off the legendary Lake Titicaca, which we are staying at a hotel on that lake. <laughs> and we, we took a boat on the lake to see the people who float on the reeds out there. And then, like, they have the Incan God coming up. And then he's, like, basically saying, oh, you know, I'm going to create, oh, what was the city? I'm, I'm trying to, I'm losing it right now. But anyways, the main city he was going to be creating there. And then they show the city in ruins, like, basically, like, it's been destroyed. And it says Peligro. I don't know what that means, Peligro. But the city, oh, Cusco, Cusco is the store, the yeah. city. But the city of Cusco is still there, and it's a massive city. <laughs> it's really big. <laughs> we stayed there in a five-star hotel. It was really nice. Right before you go into, oh, what are the ruins there? Ah, I can't think of it for the life of me. But when, right before you go into the big ruins up in the sky, you stay in Cusco. So it's like, why are they showing it destroyed? This makes no sense to me. Whatever. Alternate history. Wrote... Didn't go as well there. Exactly. That's funny. <laughs> It was just yeah, kind of funny. It is always kind of funny when they're, they're telling a story in somewhere you've actually been. And it's like, has, has the writer and artist been there? Sometimes, oh yeah, definitely. Other times, yeah, not so much. Yeah, so I was like, Cusco's still there, though. And you go there before you go to Machu Picchu. Why is it destroyed? <laughs> yeah. Funny. I, I thought this one was, was interesting. I'm l- less interested in following up with this Wonder Woman than, say, Batman or a few of the other characters. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I felt like it was kind of an interesting take, and I felt like DC did revisit it, and I didn't enjoy that book. <laughs> well, nobody did. It didn't last long. Yeah, it was kind of boring. <laughs> Shall we move over to the Superman issue? Yeah, that was an interesting take on Superman. 
It was, and what I liked the most about it was, and it takes a little while to get to this, but his motivation for fighting crime, fundamentally different. Very, very different. And we get Busima doing the art in here, mm-hmm. with the zip tones all over and everything. It, it felt like a 60s comic, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it kind of did. And this was one where I think Stanley developed, for the, the duration of this issue, a very serious writing crutch. Yeah. I mean, this, with the, the captions, it just was insane. Yeah. I because, agree. you know, it's, it's, it's a world like, like any other or whatever. And then he would just go back to that kind of, of line of dial. Was it this one? or? I think it's the next one. The, he does you're right. That was too. in the Green Lantern. He was doing that just left, right, and center. A desert like any other. You're like, yeah. Oh, hey, come like, on, man. Come on. <laughs> with this yeah, one, he, he, he was clearly riffing on. The classic Superman, you know, alien of another planet and stuff like that. But he was a full-grown adult. He was a cop. He lost his wife. He was following a prisoner who was, who he'd put away, who killed just killed his wife. And they get into how did what did they phrase that as the space time bender? Yeah, some prototype vehicle, which is how they get to Earth. And of course, it breaks, so they can't get back. Got it? Okay. Yeah. Powers on Earth. Gravity, thinner atmosphere, so you're stronger, you see further, all that kind of stuff. And and because we only have 26 characters in our language, English is so easy for anyone to pick up on. He's like, man, I picked it up in a day. <laughs> 20 minutes, it felt like. Yeah, it's like, boom. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you get the vibe of, like, John Carter with the how the strength worked? Either John Carter or... The characters from the Orville, the, like the security characters. Oh, right, right, right. The Salayans? The Salayans. I kept wanting to say the Salarians, but Salayans, that's them. Because it's almost like that. John Carter, he could jump really far and he was yeah. strong. And the Salayans there have the super strength because of the super gravity on their planet. And so it's the same type of concept. Superman gets his power from that. But at the same time, he's kind of a, a shrimp on his planet. Yeah, well, he's the, he's the only law bringer who's not genetically altered. Yeah. He's like the tiny guy. <laughs> so it makes you wonder what would have happened if one of them had come to Earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that it's like, okay, I got to make some money. There's a circus whose performer is hurt, so I'll perform for them. That like, was bizarre. <laughs> he knows what a circus is. <laughs> and then, you know, the performance goes well. He's getting paid in cash, of course. It's all under the table. And he's like, the, the proprietor's like, so, so what's your name? And he sees... An ice cream van going by for Clark and Peter's ice cream <laughs> at the intersection of Parker Place and Kent Street. Yeah. But because this is just imagine Superman, not just imagine Spider-Man, we get Clark Kent, not Peter Parker, or Clark Parker, or Parker Clark, or, you know, any other of the possible variations. Exactly. That was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was a wink-wink, nudge-nudge from Stan on, you know. Hey, look at this! <laughs> Which side of the, the road he's writing for today? Yeah. What I found funny is he's able to rent a room that's apparently f- fully furnished with the leftovers of whoever had been there, get a computer and start reading up on Earth, and doesn't really like what he learns. Yeah, doesn't like it at all. What I loved is he's like, they don't have a space-time bender here, and they're not really focusing on science because all the money's getting spent on fighting crime and stuff. So if I fight crime, they'll spend more on science and maybe get me home. Yeah, not likely. That at least made a little more sense than when he was flipping through the comic books and realized the importance of a secret identity. That was, oh my gosh, I was like, are you kidding? 
<laughs> he literally, yeah, he's getting his, his put on his thinking cap by reading comics. I must get a secret identity because these comic books say this. Da, da, da. I felt this was an enjoyable issue, but man, some of the plot points here were not great. No, they, they were pretty horrible. This is a book that I would not stick around for, honestly. Yeah, I, I think it could go in an interesting direction, but it's not based on the strength of this issue. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not. It, so, I mean, it's an interesting enough character, but this was, so far of the three, the weakest setup. Yeah, I would agree. This was the weakest of the ones we've talked about so far. Now, this Gorok guy that, that came, you know, from his home planet that's never named because it's not like we could pronounce it. He winds up getting recruited by Damien or for Dominic Dark. I want to say Damien Dark, but that's that's from Legends of Tomorrow at the very least. Yeah. Who knew he was coming and it's like, okay, you're gonna go fight this guy again, we've gotta have an evil this is more of a Zod, mm-hmm. although he looks a little bit more like a Lex Luthor kind of thing. And there's the thing at the end of, oh, is he really gone? It's like, dude, if we get another story with this, he, you know he's coming back at some point. Yeah, for sure. Don't see a body, he's not dead. <laughs> the riff on Lois Lane being an agent instead of a reporter, again, kind of harkens back to that whole Spider-Man origin of, you know, what if Spider-Man had actually gotten a good agent and, and became successful that way? Exactly. Yeah, very cool. There was tons of thought balloons in here, too. Did you like that? Seeing those again? In places, yes. But, like, after he says, you know, Lois, we're just not on the same page or whatever, and then we get them walking down the street and the the thought balloons, each one going on a totally different mindset. Yeah. The thought balloons were needed for that, but it just seemed a little awkward. They're walking down the street not talking. Yeah, in total silence. That's basically how we would see it if they didn't have the thought balloons. They're just completely silent walking down the street, which is weird. You figure they'd have some small talk, something. Something. Uh -uh. Now, did you catch the reference when we had that one full-page splash? What reference? You've got this Superman kind of bursting out of some chains. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. That is, I think, a reference to Superman 233, the Kryptonite No More storyline. We're on the cover. He's bursting out of, of, I think, the Kryptonite chains. Ah, well, there you go. You know, just mirror image it, replace it with the real Superman, and it's a very similar image. Very cool. And it was a little odd, because I think that's the only kind of full-page splash we've gotten in these issues so far. Yeah, I I would agree. Yeah, there's not very many of them. There's like some half pages, but very few full-page splashes. Yeah. That's probably it. I liked the character. I do think the writing on this was a little heavy-handed and not some of Stanley's best work. Yeah, I would agree. Like, this character isn't a bad character. It's just, it was written kind of like, eh, it just compared to the other ones, just not as well. Yeah. What'd you think of the backup on this one? This one I hated. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd like to disagree with you, but I can't. (laughs) It's it's horrible. I'm like, don't tell me you liked it. Please don't tell me. Oh my God, it was horrible. Art was way too cartoony. It's basically the story of how this Superman ended up in action comics in this world. Yeah. And it's sort of along the lines of how Marvel Comics in... The Marvel Universe publishes stories of, like, the Fantastic Four and others. Yeah. Because they're licensed and stuff. Same idea. And when we get the room with the guy yelling at the the other people and stuff, there's a guy who very much looks like Stan Lee, another that looks very much like Julie Schwartz. Yep. I don't know if the others are supposed to look like other people or not, but it's like, okay, I get the point. 
we get some use of Lois Lane as an agent and stuff, but this was just, it was way too cartoony and felt out of touch with the rest of the issue. It, it just didn't fit in. Yeah. It was like, okay, I get what you're doing here, but it's, it's just not really good. It doesn't fit with the book, the style, the writing, anything. So just not for me. I would like to see this Superman team up with the quote unquote real Superman. Yeah. Just because, again, their motivations are so different. Completely opposite, yeah. <laughs> this is a much more pragmatic, almost calculating Superman versus the doing right for the sake of doing right. Yeah, I would say this is the, I hate to say it this way, but like a normal person, you know, who happened to have some powers. You know, very, very few people are always for the greater good and doing what's right. There, I mean, there are people that are like that, but most people are not. They're very pragmatic. They're very you know, as as things suit them, you know, at the, the moment. And so, yeah, very different. I would say it's the everyday Superman versus the, this is the person who is the symbol of, of being a superhero. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so completely different. I think there's more they could do with this version, but based on the strength of, of the writing of these first issues, least likely to, to, to have more done with them, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know completely what you mean. Yeah. That brings us to Green Lantern. What did you think of that one? This one was interesting because we really get a lot more of the Church of Eternal Empowerment just from, like, the the first page, it feels like. Yeah. And we get a a number of characters thrown at us pretty quick. We get this this Craig Krogor who works for Dominic Dark. And, man, some of these names just don't roll off the tongue. No, they're difficult. (laughs) And the, the alliteration of the starting with the C's or Professor Len Lewis, you know, with the L's and stuff, I'm not saying it's unique to Stanley. It's not. I mean, we had Lex Luthor, Lana Lang, Lois Lane, you know, over at DC. So we've got that kind of a thing going. But we we set up like this this Craig guy as he's not a good guy. He he kills a hippo and then kills the authorities that witnessed it, so he doesn't get in trouble for it. It's like okay, he, he's a bad man. I get it. Yep. This Professor Lynn Lewis, who's teaching archaeology, not to be confused with Steve Trevor, who is an archaeologist and died over in Wonder Woman. He's searching for the Tree of Life. Oh, this got weird. <laughs> it did, and it was almost a mashup of kind of a little bit of Thorish type mythology and Swamp Thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, you got Thor, you got Swamp Thing, you got Jewish mysticism in there, mm-hmm. you got, <laughs> and you got Ancient Aliens, that TV series, because he starts talking about what if people came before and the aliens did this stuff. I'm like, who teaches like this? What professor in their class? <laughs> It's almost like he's Daniel Jackson from Stargate. It was just so bizarre. The way he f- flirted with the girl and the way the girl flirted back, I'm like, what kind of professor is this? <laughs> One soon to be unemployed, perhaps. I was just like, oh, yeah, he's like basically telling her, you're hot, you know, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and doing that on campus in the, the, the room you're teaching in. Again, different times back then, I guess, but still. Yeah, very different times. So it was just... It was very weird. And then, like, even when she meets him up in the airport later on, she's, like, basically like, oh, you got me kind of hot and bothered, so I bought a ticket to come with you. I'm like, man, this is weird. This story would just not pass mustard today. (laughs) Well, when we saw her leaving and then getting on the phone, oh, someone else suspects the truth. What are my orders? It's like, okay, she's working for Dark. Yeah, she's definitely a plant. Yep. (laughs) We'll pardon the pun. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now... We've got art by Dave Gibbons, so uh, some terrific art in this. It was. It felt like it was like 60s, but clean lines. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the art. 
I enjoyed the art. I also enjoyed the look of this Green Lantern. Me too. It, it didn't make any sense for the Tree of Life to make him look this way, but okay. Yeah, exactly. All right, we'll roll with it. <laughs> Almost like a Swamp Thing, Poison Ivy thing going on. Well, it, he has flight. He's got you know, almost standard Green Lantern powers versus I would have expected more of a, a Swamp Thing, Poison Ivy kind of power set. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and the, the whole time, were you waiting for the Lantern to appear? No, I was waiting for an explanation as to why he dubbed himself the Green Lantern. Exactly. I'm like, where's the Lantern coming from based on your experience of what is going on? Where's this Lantern coming from? He shines brightly, so... I guess. I I get the green part, but all right, we'll just roll with it. (laughs) It could have been the green lamp, the green spotlight, the green light bulb. I don't know. It was was a little weird. Yeah, it was weird. (laughs) But it stayed in the moment, and it worked, and I like how he was trying to figure out the powers. He went out to the desert to go figure it out at one point. Yeah. It's like, oh, the powers are getting weaker. They need time to recharge themselves. And that actually played into the story later. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't know why and I don't know what it was, but this is one of the stories that, as corny and simplistic as it was written, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, like when Craig gets gets whammied by Dark, where he's aging a year for every day or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't really seem to play out that way, not that the story takes long enough for us to see that. Although you'd think if you're aging a year every day that even the span of an hour, you'd start to feel it. Yeah, you would think so. Given, I mean, this guy's got to be, uh, well, he could be as young as 30, who knows. But then later, Dark kind of whammies him further and ages him to death. It's like, that's kind of cruel. Yeah, it was. Boom. I mean, yes, there's some corny stuff in here, but the story stays in the moment. It it holds together, and while it may be a little, I don't say nonsensical or corny or whatever, it, it worked in a way the Superman issue didn't. Yeah, I would agree. I'm going to use words, which it's not meant as a slight. It felt like it read very simplistic, like anyone could read it. You know, a 10-year-old could read it or a 49-year-old could read it. Mm -hmm. It felt very easy to follow, and it felt like it was straight from the pages of the 1960s, an origin story. And so when I read this, I got a total total vibe of this is an origin story of a new character from back in the day. And it just – it felt true to what it was. Yes, I enjoyed it, you know, even though this isn't my era and these weren't my comics back in the 60s. I read it and I appreciate it because I felt like I was reading like one of those early issues of Spider-Man or one of the early issues of whatever it was back in the Silver Age. I think Stanley was on his A game here yeah. where he wasn't on the Wonder Woman or the Superman one. That is so funny that we both felt the same thing. So, hey, we must be right. <laughs> <laughs> we are the experts. <laughs> now, there was one thing that I really enjoyed about this, and it was, it it may have been something that had nothing to do with Stan Lee. Okay. But right after the scene where Dark kind of whammies Craig and and with the aging thing. Okay. We cut to Len in his office or apartment or whatever, you know, trying to figure out what to do next and gets the call and stuff. All right. We then cut, he's out on the street. Did you notice the signage on that street? No, what, what am I looking for? Okay, he's walking by, she sounds nervous, Kane. Oh, yeah. As in Gil Kane, artist on the Hal Jordan. Oh, yeah. Ah. Then, the next page or whatever, another sign, Jordan. There it is, boom. I assume it's Jordan because we don't see the first letter. Yep. But, okay, we got Hal Jordan there, that makes sense. 
down on the next page, we down the street there's Nodell's. Yep. For Martin Nodell, creator, co-creator of the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Jay Sh- Schwartz, I'm gonna say. For Julie Schwartz. Julie Schwartz, yeah. Who's the one who said, let's bring back Green Lantern as Hal Jordan and stuff, give a sci-fi bent to it. And then we got Finger. We got Finger for Bill Finger, who was co-creator of Alan Scott. Yep. I mean, so there were some nice Easter eggs there. There was. This is probably the artist doing this, but it's definitely nods to the people who came before, uh, you know, for doing all this stuff. That's awesome. It could have just as easily been the letters to whoever it was. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, it was really clever. That's super cool. I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of times I read comics and I see there's a background and you just kind of, oh, that's some buildings, you know, skip by. If you skip by, you lose nothing. But if you catch it, it's like, okay, that's cool. That's a nice nod. Yeah, th- thanks for pointing that out. That's kind of cool. A little more depth. I mean, to me, that's Easter eggs done right. Yeah, very cool. I like that. So, I mean, I enjoyed this, the whole gargantua monster, whatever. It's like, yeah, whatever. That that felt a little marvelly, but it worked. I liked this character. This would be the one I'd be most interested in seeing more of. Me too. Out of the ones we've we've done so far. Again, I don't really remember the other eight. <laughs> it's been 20 years. And this, too, ends on a moment of more to come that, that never does. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to see what they do for the 100th birthday. If it's like picking up where the story's left off or, or what they're going to do with this. I, I just don't know. I hope that a little time has elapsed. And it's not like picking up right where these stories left off. Yeah, just kind of giving you a nod, nod, wink. Maybe they'll collect it, collect these in there. Who knows? But it, it's been fun. It has been. Now, one thing I found interesting with the Superman one is that circus act he did. Yeah. Everybody seemed to know about it, including when he went to the Pentagon. One of the guys there knew about it. Which was weird. <laughs> Which was totally weird. <laughs> and in this Green Lantern thing, at one point, he stops what he thinks is a crime it turns out to be an undercover cop, I think it was. Um, and that whole bit gets played up in the backup feature where it's told from that cop's perspective. Yeah. And he is just not having a good day. Definitely not. It's a really bad day. <laughs> but it also shows how reactive this world is. A few superheroes show up and now people are thinking one's always going to show up. Oh, building's on fire. Let's wait for the hero. And the cop's like, there's a kid in there. They're going to die. So he dives in to go rescue them. You know, everyone else is just sitting there with a the phone, which, you know, realistic by today's standard, unfortunately, maybe. Yeah, very true. People will be filming it versus helping someone. But going back to the reactive stuff, this cop is so lost his faith in humanity. It's like, I'm calling it a night and maybe a career. You know, he's going to turn in his badge is the implication. He gets back to the precinct, having walked there from, you know, after the fire and all that stuff. And there's this huge line down the block. Like, what's going on? People all want to be cops because of what this guy did that night. They were so impressed, which was kind of cool. A, a street-level hero, someone who's, you know, doing the good job and doesn't have any powers. A street-level hero who was presumably live-streamed, watched by all of these people. They drop what they're doing, and they head down to the police station that day to sign up. Very bizarre that that happened, but a feel-good thing, nevertheless. Feel-good thing, absolutely. Reactive but completely much? ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we watch the stream. We all line up at the point. <laughs> I'm signing up today. (laughs) That was weird. Yeah. It was a little fast, but I get the point they were going for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, overall. Yeah. Every time I saw this guy, I kept thinking of uh, Rick Jones from uh, Peter David's Hulk run. There was this character, you know, Rick Jones, and you kept seeing him. He had the ponytail and everything. So anyways, that was my flashback when I was reading Mm, this. I I can see that. (laughs) I kept getting flashbacks. 
Yeah, that that cop was kind of stuck in the era. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but uh, out of the four, I think this was the most enjoyable. I'm not going to say it was the best. No, I, I, it, it's definitely not the best, but it was the one that I felt like I enjoyed the most. So I would have ranked them like Green Lantern, then probably Batman, then Wonder Woman, and then at the bottom, you know, Superman. Superman. Yeah, that's the worst. I would pretty much agree with that, although if you asked me which character I liked better, I'd probably say Superman over Wonder Woman. Exactly. That's the thing. I like the character. I just didn't like the way he wrote the issue. So, yeah, Superman was a more... It's a character I would like to read with a different writer. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no slight on Stanley, but that just well, this but, was much better than that. <laughs> it's not like Stanley was going to go start off writing a whole line of comics for for DC and stuff. That just was never in the cards. What's cool is this little exercise he did. It kind of put to rest that you know Jack and Stan they both did a really good job, and when they came together, they were magic. But you know Jack can write, and Jack can draw, and Stan can write. And this was proof well, that he can write, and Jack can write based on his, you know, the stuff that he did. Oh, Fourth World. Commandy. Kind of yeah. Oh, yeah. But the other thing that Stan could do is Stan can sell. Yes, he could. <laughs> and I think Stan can motivate. Sometimes it's by cajoling and getting the best out of people. Other times it may be, I'll show him up. Yeah. Either way, I think if you were to take Stan Lee out of the foundational aspect of Marvel, we would not have Marvel the way it is now. I agree. Because I don't think all of those others would have created the same characters in the same way, etc., without Stan in the mix. I agree. Like, another guy who could have been a Stan Lee, but was not because of the path and where he came up, was probably like a Mark Millar. He he feels like he was a, a real salesperson, you know? He could get people excited and hype his books up, you know? But he took a completely different path. Not the same person, but he had that in him. But if he would have lived, you know, 30 years earlier, he he might have been the Stanley of our time. Who knows? I would almost say he was more of a Jim Lee. Uh, yeah, I could see. Build up a that's library true. and sell it off. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and hey, kudos to them for both for doing that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I would say Mark Millar is more the huckster than Jim Lee is, though. <laughs> Jim yes. Lee is much more the businessman, the CEO. <laughs> yes, yes. But I think here we get to see kind of Stan flexing some creative muscles that yeah. he probably hadn't done for a while and doing some decent stuff here. Some of it better than others. And again, I hadn't read these in, in probably 20 years and I'd forgotten how much I'd forgotten about them. Yeah, and I, I'm happy I read them because I never read them back in the day. And it, it's just fun. You know, Stan's no longer here mm -hmm. and we're able to go back and visit these little gems that he did. That is not in his normal wheelhouse what we know him for, so it's kind of cool to see him do some alternate or Elseworlds DC tales. Well, see him telling stories where he can't lean on the foundational Marvel Universe. Exactly. And he can't lean on the uh, foundational DC Universe, pretty much. It's all new characters. He can bounce off it, but certainly can't lean on it, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely some fun stuff. Now, we'll come back next time and cover Flash, JLA... There's a Secret Files issue that's got a little original material. I'll probably read that if you want to. Great. If you don't want to, James, that's fine, too. Okay. And then Robin and Shazam. Okay, cool. Which, for the most part, I would say, again, iconic DC properties. Robin's a sidekick. I don't know that I'd given him his own issue. Shazam started at Fawcett. Big enough character, so yeah, that makes sense. And again, he was Captain Marvel, and this is Stan Lee, so you gotta do him, I guess. You definitely have to, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll come back and do 
Aquaman, Sandman, Catwoman, and there was a uh, Crisis one there. Yeah, so that'll be kind of cool. That'll be fun. Aquaman, certainly A-lister at times at, at DC. Other times, not so much. Sandman was a very interesting choice. I was surprised. Yeah, why'd they pick Sandman? That's bizarre. That's like, you know, I think Neil Gaiman when I think of that, you know? Yeah, but I, I'm almost wondering if they're, if they're doing a riff on that one or the original Sandman. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I mean, you have Sandman over in Marvel, too. Totally different type of Sandman, though. Exactly. I wonder if he's going to pull in some of that just based on the name. Who knows? I, I'm <laughs> curious why Sandman was picked. And then Catwoman, you're going for a villain. Yeah, kind of weird. I don't know if that's the villain I would have gone with. It's just the choices, some of them did seem kind of bizarre, didn't they? For those two in particular, Robin at least was on the Saturday morning Super Friends cartoon, so maybe if if you're going to do 12, what 12 DC characters would you pick? And, uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, those all make perfect sense. Once you get off those, then it starts to be a little bit more hmm. discretionary, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I'm looking forward to rereading the other ones. I had a ton of fun with this, so yeah. Yeah, fun fun exercise. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.